Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Amernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by Otessa Moshvig from the August 2022 edition of GQ. Brad Pitt's Wildest Dreams, Part 1. Please note, this is a men's magazine, and as such, may include offensive topics or language. We know him as a legendary leading man, a Hollywood power broker, maybe the greatest heartthrob of all time. But Brad Pitt isn't attached to any of those old conceptions. And, as Otessa Moshveg discovers, his ambitions for the rest of his life are more mystical than we ever could have imagined. Brad Pitt tries to remember his dreams. He keeps pen and paper on his bedside table and records everything he can recall when he wakes up in the morning. I found that to be really helpful, he says. I'm curious what's going on in there when I'm not at the helm. He tells me this one recent afternoon in the brightness of his living room, at his craftsman home in the Hollywood Hills. For a long while, his sleep had been haunted by a particularly persistent and violent dream, the particulars of which he later describes for me in an email exchange. He writes, For a solid four or five years there, the most predominant dream I would experience would be getting jumped and stabbed. It would always be at night, in the dark, and I would be walking down a sidewalk in a park or along a boardwalk, and as I'd pass under an exorcist-like street lamp, someone would jump out of the abyss and stab me in the ribs. Or I'd notice I was being followed, and then another flanked me, and I realized I was trapped, and they meant me grave harm. Or being chased through a house with a kid I'd help escape, but I'd got pinned in on the deck and stabbed. Always stabbed. And I would awake in terror. I didn't understand why it, they would want to hurt me. This stopped a year or two ago only when I started going straight back into the dream and asking simply, why? One might be tempted to psychoanalyze a dream like that. Brad Pitt, the golden boy from Missouri who moved to California on a lark at 22 and became the biggest movie star in the world, who reportedly makes up to $20 million a film, who was twice part of perhaps the most famous relationship on the planet, cannot go anywhere without being stalked by the paparazzi. It's easy to see how this man might feel hunted and haunted. What's perhaps surprising is how the bad dream eventually went away, only by studying this nightmare, by taking careful note of it and trying to pin down its meaning, did it begin to have less of a hold on him. He's 58 now, nearly six years on from a difficult divorce from Angelina Jolie, with whom he has six children. We see less of him than we once did. Having receded from his position as a perennial leading man, he appears on screen a bit more sporadically these days, playing characters who feel increasingly unexpected, and playfully subvert our assumptions of the kind of movie star that he's been for 30 years. He focuses a good deal of his attention on his role as a film producer, through which he's happily supporting rising auteurs and helping to shepherd the work of great authors to the screen. When we meet, he seems to me more ruminative, more intentional, more of an artist than I perhaps expected. He tells me he's trying to think carefully about what's ahead, about the path he wants to chart for the final stages of an abundantly creative career. I consider myself on my last leg, he says to me. This last semester or trimester, what is the section going to be, and how do I want to design that? Mining his dreams for what meaning they might contain, he says, is part of that process, as is plumbing his own past for the wisdom that comes from his challenges. Out here in California, he says, there's a lot of talk about being your authentic self. It would plague me. What does authentic mean? For me, it was getting to a place of acknowledging those deep scars that we carry, Pitt has a number of properties in and outside of L.A., a beach house near Santa Barbara, a modernist glass and steel residence also in the Hollywood Hills. But it's this craftsman home, 
which has been a fixture in his life throughout his tenure as a movie star, where he's been holed up for much of the pandemic. Inside, the walls are a caramel shade of cedar, and the ground floor rooms are appointed with vintage furniture and tasteful art. There are no obvious family photos on display, and no flourishes of luxury to the place, apart from the simple fineness of the home, perfect in its adherence to the early 20th century aesthetic. When he welcomes me in, Pitt is wearing neutral tones, draped khaki trousers, and a loose white t-shirt, like a man trying to camouflage himself in a wheat field. The colors call to mind the Midwest, big skies. Pitt grew up in the Ozarks, a place he speaks about with reverie. A scented candle perfumes the kitchen where he cheerfully offers me a beverage. Tea, coffee, water, juice, booze. I'm sober, like Pitt, who hasn't had a drink in almost six years. I take water, as does he. Cold or room temp, he asks. I choose cold because I want to see into his fridge. Barely anything in there, just the cool bluish glare of the electric light. All my friends have gone to room temp, he says. Room temp. That seems appropriate. The vibe here is gentle and calm. Is there anyone else in this house? I ask him. Nah, he says quickly. He has a friendly but acerbic way of answering the yes or no questions that, I assume, he might prefer that I not pursue. Nope. Yep. In the fireplace, there's a barely smoldering log, and Pitt pulls up a chair as though to bask in its warmth. His eyes are clear and pale blue, and they catch the light as he turns to me. This was the first place I bought when I made some money in 94, he says. Pitt purchased the property from Cassandra Peterson, best known for her roles on TV and in film as the campy horror host Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. She's told stories of the house being haunted when she lived here claiming that she once heard the sound of footsteps coming from the uninhabited third floor, saw the ghost of a nurse and of a man in period clothing sitting near the fireplace. She also claims Mark Hamill told her he lived in the house in the 1960s until his roommate hanged himself in a bedroom closet. It was really run down and dilapidated, Pitt tells me of his arrival. I lived here for a few years, then I bounced around everywhere, just let friends crash here, and then somewhere in the aughts I fixed it up. Been pretty much hiding out here. Lately... He's been rising early to play his guitar, a pursuit he took up toward the beginning of the pandemic. He'll come down to the living room, where he'll light a fire and strum a bit. He feels at ease here, he says, but is also happy to get out of town, often taking drives up the coast to his beach house, a trip just long enough to seem like an escape. I drive out and I just feel like I'm taking off a cloak or something, he says. When he's heading back into town, he says he can feel the weight of the place. As soon as you turn in past Santa Barbara, I feel it coming. The shoulders start getting a little higher, and I feel it. I'm not quite sure what it is or how to contend with it just yet, other than getting out and traveling a lot. Of course, it's work that often keeps him anchored to L.A., and his friends tell me that he's happiest when he's got his head down in a project. One close confidant, Flea, the Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist, explains, When Brad's lost in the process of creating, there's something magical about that. It's like this thing that lights something inside a human being that gives them power and opens them up. Indeed, the work Pitt is doing today is gratifying in new and different ways. This year, Plan B Entertainment, his production company, is putting out Women Talking, an adaptation of Miriam Toza's novel about a group of Mennonite women who unite against their rapists, directed by Sarah Pauly. It's as profound a film as anything made this decade, Pitt tells me and there's also the forthcoming film version of Joyce Carol Oates' Blonde, a fictional biography of Marilyn Monroe's interior life, directed by Andrew Dominic. Add those to a slate of other acclaimed novels Plan B has adapted or optioned, Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad, 
Chiamanda Negozi Adichie's Americana, Mark Haddon's The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, and a portrait emerges of Pitt as a kind of literary kingmaker. And yet, for all his high-mindedness as a producer and his increasing selectivity as an actor, Pitt is glad to lend his talents to the odd blockbuster when the timing is right, especially when there's a personal connection. That includes this summer's Bullet Train, directed by David Leach, whose relationship with Pitt goes back to 1999's Fight Club, when Leach served as the star stunt double, a role Leach would reprise in a number of films, including Troy and Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Their filmmaking relationship took on a remarkable new vector when the pair began talking about Bullet Train, yet Leach says their collaboration was as natural as ever. In the conversations I have with Brad, he says, the number one goal was to make a movie that's entertaining and escapist and fresh and original that will make people want to come back to the theater. Bullet Train may be a feel-good summer blockbuster, but it was filmed in part on a soundstage in L.A. in the middle of the pandemic. It was heavy outside those studio gates, co-star Brian Tyree Henry recalls. What I remember mostly is the laughter. Brad's laugh is really infectious. He brings this kind of ease to the set where there's nothing overworked. You're sitting across from a master class of cool. In the film, Pip plays Ladybug, an assassin on a train from Tokyo to Kyoto who's just recovered from a case of burnout, returning to his high-stakes job with a somewhat misguided sense of confidence about his fitness for duty. You know, you do a month of therapy, Pitt says about his character. You have one epiphany, and you think you've got it all figured out, and you're never going to be forlorn ever again. That was that. I got this. I'm good to go. The character is a familiar type for Pitt. Likeable, flawed, a little eccentric, and he plays the part with an easy charm and self-effacing humor that evokes some of his other recent roles, like Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. To Quentin Tarantino, who directed Pitt in that role, as well as in Inglorious Bastards, Pitt's shape-shifting as an actor is evidence of a kind of screen presence we just don't see much anymore. He suggests an older-style movie star, Tarantino tells me over the phone. He's really good-looking. He's also really masculine, and he's also really hip. He gets the joke. But the thing that only the directors that work with Brad and the actors that act opposite him really know, what he's so incredibly talented at, is his ability to really understand the scene. He might not be able to articulate it, but he has an instinctive understanding about it. What Pitt exudes, Tarantino says, is a rare timelessness. He's one of the last remaining big-screen movie stars, the director tells me, equating his star quality with that of Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Steve McQueen. It's just a different breed of man. And frankly, I don't think you can describe exactly what that is because it's like describing starshine. I noticed it when we were doing Inglorious Bastards. When Brad was in the shot, I didn't feel like I was looking through the viewfinder of the camera. I felt like I was watching a movie. Just his presence in the four walls of the frame created that impression. That brings us to the end of today's article. Brad Pitt's Wildest Dreams, Part 1. If you want to learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our web pages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print-impaired listeners. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.